We were going to talk about James today. James is great. I love the epistle to James. Um, please go home and read James. We're not going to talk about him today. Uh, we're going to talk about Jonah. Thank you. Um, we had, we, we had a, um, a visitor come and join us uh, on, on and off over the past couple weeks. Um, someone who, you know, I don't know if they know the Lord or not or where they are in, in faith. They, they struggle in life. They've got complex needs. Um, they happen to be homeless. Probably dealing with all kinds of stuff. Um, very difficult to understand much of what they're saying. But I came in to find this person in church. And he had the Bible out. He had several Bibles out, actually. And one of them he had open to the book of Jonah. And I thought, well... I guess better talk about that then, if that's a cue from the Holy Spirit. So here we are. Jonah is a man who knows about slavery. And I think we all know a little bit about slavery. In fact, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work, guys. I don't know if this is going to work. I uploaded this video last night, and I did not test it. It may not work at all. That's all right. It's not going to work today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show it to you next Sunday. I'm going to tell you a little bit about slavery in the American tradition, which is not a good tradition, uh, but it is part of our history, and I'm going to talk to you about. How God has overcome slavery in that time and that place, not just through laws that establish freedom, not just through civil rights, but through the power of His Holy Spirit. Because you see, freedom comes in a couple different kinds of things, just as, as slavery comes in a couple different forms. Slavery, in fact, can be more about your, than just your body being enslaved. It can be more than just having shackles on your feet. It can be more than being in handcuffs. Slavery actually resides in the heart. When African slaves were first brought to the American continent, uh, they were banned from having their own churches and so they'd be forced to go along to their master's churches uh, on a Sunday morning. But they found that it was impossible nearly at times to celebrate and worship the God that they knew and loved in that context. Because the God they knew and loved was the God who freed slaves out of Egypt. And so they would meet illegally under the cover of darkness. Out in the swamps and the wilderness and the forests quietly singing, clapping, preaching. Masters soon became aware of this worship and they began to crack down. They made laws that said that you're not allowed to clap in worship and you're not allowed to stomp your feet because that was one of the forms of worship. Cleverly, however, African worship leaders devised a way around this, thank God. 
The model of worship, we'll look at this next Sunday, but the model of worship that they mastered is called the ring shout. And it was based on old African forms, but essentially they modified it so that they could stamp the floor with the foot, with the, with the back of their foot while never raising their foot from the ground, keeping the toes on the ground, and then hitting the heel thereby never violating the colonial laws of raising their feet in worship. Since very few slaves knew how to read, there would be one person whose job was to be the hymn liner. And that person would read the next line of the hymn, and then they would all sing in unison. And because most folks could not read, they memorized scripture. And to this day, when you go to an AME, African Methodist Episcopal Church in many parts, or uh, African Baptist Church in parts of the American South, when the deacon or elder gets up to read from the Bible, they will say, hear the word of the Lord. And they will hold the Bible to their ear. And they will recite word for word the text of the Lord because they memorized it. In the place of slavery, they found freedom. But it wasn't about overcoming their captors. It wasn't about, although that needed to happen. It wasn't just about freeing their arms and legs from manacles and shackles. It was about discovering in their heart the real place of freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. And how I grieve to find so many good church-going folks to be enslaved in their hearts. There are many reasons, many good reasons, seemingly. Fear of judgment. Fear of the unknown, maybe. What's going to happen if I commit my life to the Holy Spirit? If I go after this freedom in the Spirit? Maybe just kind of wanting to stay in the comfort of things, knowing the contours of life and routine and getting comfortable maybe in our own problems. The extent to which we think, I couldn't know life any other way than with these shackles around my feet. Last week we talked about the land of aspiration and how in the land of aspiration we often get tempted to start building because that's what we do well. We're good builders. God made us to be good builders and we build and we make things and and the only problem is, is we, as, as the people that God made us, we tend to make things that look like kingdom. Because <laughs> that's what we know. Because that's what God is establishing, His kingdom. And then over time, in that land of aspiration, we come to realize that it's not God's kingdom we're building. 
And we look, we look across that river, right? We look across the river toward the land of devotion, and we see all these followers camped out there, doing nothing, seemingly. Camped out, idle, lazy, hanging around, worshiping the Lord. Well, like the land of aspiration, there is another place. I call it the land of desolation. The land of captivity. Like the land of aspiration and land of desolation, you can hear the voice of the Lord, but it is often faint. It become difficult. It can become difficult to trust in that voice. It might become difficult to even hear that voice over the sound of our own bondage, the clinking of chains, the sound of our own sighs and weeping. And it is a place of isolation, let me tell you. Where in the land of aspiration we choose to go our own way, in the land of desolation we are removed from everything and everyone. And sometimes we do that to ourselves. We are forced to go where we do not want, or at least that's how it feels. And we find when we look closely at ourselves and particularly at others, is that in the land of desolation, captivity is anything but permanent, anything but eternal. And the illusion, actually, that we don't see through is that oftentimes there are only a few degrees of separation between freedom and slavery. And sometimes, beautifully, it is in that place where in our hearts we may slip the bonds that try to enslave us. And we may find when we look to our hearts, they are amazingly free. And we hear that voice, that voice of steadfastness, the voice of faithfulness, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 30. When all these blessings and curses I, God, have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will do this himself. He will go to the ends of the earth for you. He will not rest. He will not tire in pursuit of you. He will pursue you relentlessly, doglessly, without giving up. His passion is unrelenting for you. His steadfast love endures Say it. Forever. Now choose life, God says, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. 
For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A promise promise that goes way back. God says, way back to names you might not even know. God says, I've been fulfilling promises that long. Among people you've never met whose names sound unfamiliar. I've been doing it then. I'm doing it now. And he says, I'm doing it right now in this room. He has chosen this place for you on this this particular day to bring his promise to completion. Come out of captivity. What sweet promises flow from the lips of the Lord our God, but oh, how we have grown accustomed to closing our ears. I think there is a certain beauty, you see, in the land of desolation. There is a beauty perhaps unnoticeable to the untrained eye. It is a beauty you see over time. It is a dark beauty that tricks you connives against you, deceives you into thinking that the dark hole of bondage is a kind of feast. A feast of manageable expectations. I know where I'm going. As long as I got these chains on, I know where I'm going. I know how far I can get before I fall down. I know how fast I can walk. I know the bite of my captor's whip, the sharp sound of his voice, and maybe in these things there is actually some comfort. Deep down, if I'm honest, some knowing, some ability to control what seems entirely out of control. And for some, this is a a dark beauty because maybe deep down we... We believe the lie that we deserve it. It is in this deepest, darkest place of the land of desolation that I have lost close friends and colleagues who have found solace in the bottom of a bottle or worse. It can be an intoxicating place, this place of pain. And Jonah knows all about it. You see, Jonah is sent by God. As a prophet, he is sent to this people whom he does not like. And he has had a rough go himself, this prophet, as prophets usually do. And God says, I've got a word of salvation for these people. I want you to go and tell them to repent, to say sorry for not following me. I want you to go and tell them that there's another story besides the story of captivity. That I am the God of freedom. That I am the God who brings people out of slavery. I want you to go and tell them that. And Jonah gets on the boat goes the opposite direction. I'm paraphrasing. And God says, Jonah, I am dead serious 
about my word of freedom. It is a word that you need to carry in your heart even when you don't feel it. It is a word you need to honor. It is a word that the nations of this world need to hear. A word of freedom. So Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. He gets spit up. And so he goes to this place, Nineveh it's called. He goes. And he tells him this story. God is going to rain destruction down on your kingdom if you don't turn to him and follow him as the Lord your Savior. And they do. They recognize the story of freedom when they see it and they say, we want to be part of that. We want to follow you, Lord our God. And overnight, a nation that was against God becomes a nation that follows God. And they realize their freedom. And Jonah, why he's gone off to the land of desolation. He calls out to the Lord, I went down to the land who... Whose bars closed upon me forever, this land of desolation? He finally comes to his senses and he says, It was always you, Father, wasn't it? It was always you, Lord, who were my Savior. I remember you, Lord, Jonah says. I remember how loving you are. And he says, thank you. He stumbles in and out of the land of desperation so many times it's hard to keep track. And maybe this is a story for our own lives. Even knowing the truth sometimes is not enough unless you live it. Knowing a set of facts is not enough to know the joy of the Lord. Being familiar with the person of Jesus Christ, the amazing things that he did, is a good start. But he wants to do more in your life than just be a story. You see, Jesus has his eyes on those shackles you're wearing. He's been eyeing them for some time. He's been watching you in the land of desolation and he's saying, that's not what I made you for. If you have envy of how things are going for somebody else, if you have a grudge you just can't let go of, if you just don't like yourself, Jesus is asking for access to your heart. He's going to change some things. And not in a small way, I mean in a big way. What freedom there is in seeing that Jesus does the work. What freedom there is in seeing the Holy Spirit labor away, quietly, faithfully, laboring over that which He loves 
but sometimes we just like to spite ourselves to ensure that God has no access to us. We are not worthy, we say. Or they're not worthy, we might say. And will we let that spite continue to enslave us? Will we let those grudges continue to hold us back? The Jesus we think we know, I think he's only beginning to reveal himself here. There is so much in store for your life. So much promise and beauty and hope. And I cannot emphasize enough the dramatic change that he wants to see in your life. The change towards that beauty and hope and mercy that he has planned for you. It is no accident. Oh, the Lord wants to do something in your life today. Who am I to stand in his way? Because this is the story of freedom. This is the story of freedom from bondage. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. This story's for you. I don't care if you follow Jesus or not. His story's for you. I don't care what you've done in your life. Bad, good, or otherwise. This story is for you. The story of freedom. It's got your name on it. It's written as if it were written for you. When you go home, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to open it up. And I'd like you to open up to the book of Jonah. And next to the name Jonah, I'd like you to put a little star in pen or pencil. A little asterisk. And then at the bottom of the page, I want you to write another little asterisk underneath the print. And next to that asterisk, I'd like you to write your own name in big letters. Because this story is for you. It's the book of Rob. Put your name in there. Read it. 